Happy Thanksgiving, listeners. It's The Real Jason Duncan with an introduction of a replay of one of our most popular episodes with Mike McCallowicz. I hope that you're having a great Thanksgiving today with your family. I know that I am. We have a big Thanksgiving breakfast and spend all day together as a family watching football, eating soup, and we just have a great time together. And I hope you're having a great time with your family on this Thanksgiving as well. Today, we're going to replay this episode with Mike McCallowicz, one of my most favorite authors of all time who wrote the most favorite and the best book that I ever, ever could recommend to anybody called Profit First. You're going to hear him speak again. We aired this originally back in August of 2021. Talk about how he started out as an entrepreneur and how he failed and how he succeeded and ultimately how you can do it too. So enjoy this replay and happy Thanksgiving. In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Welcome back to the show. I am the real Jason Duncan. I sincerely appreciate you taking time to tune into the show. And I've got a great, great guest for you today. Uh, we're, we're on the root of all success, of course, as you know, I'm interviewing super successful entrepreneurs and how they how they accomplish their success. And of course, like today's show, like every show, we're going to talk about failures. We're going to talk about successes and we're going to dig into this thing. This theory that I've got is that every single successful entrepreneur has used the same five keys to unlock their success. And certainly every story is different. That's why this podcast will go on forever. But everybody has these similar things. And you as an entrepreneur can also use these same keys to unlock your success. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review. Wherever you're listening to this on Spotify or our uh, you'll see wherever iTunes, any, any of the podcast players, we're proudly syndicated on the C-Suite Radio Network the world's largest network of executive and business level podcasts. And uh, they've got us on every podcast player. And we're also on YouTube. So if you're not watching this on YouTube, you can go watch us at youtube.com slash C as in channel slash the real Jason Duncan. And I've got a channel there full of great content for entrepreneurs just like you. So make sure you go check that out. Now, if you are watching this, as you can see, I'm coming at you again from my Root of All Success podcast studio here in my home office in Gallatin, Tennessee, just north of Nashville. Today's guest is hailing from parts unknown and can't be with me live in Nashville, but I'm honored that he's going to be on the show again anyway. So thank you for tuning in to watch this on YouTube. So you can see I'm in my home office here. I love this place. Uh, today's episode sponsor is Results 
through integrity. Now, this is a little bit self-serving because it's the company that I own, but if you will just bear with me a moment, I want to tell you a little bit about that because you've been listening to this show for a while and maybe you know, maybe you don't know what it is that I do, but I own eight different companies as an entrepreneur. Uh, I've owned a stake in over 12 companies over the last 20 some odd years, and currently I still maintain ownership stake in eight. One of the main things that I do on a day-to-day basis is I teach people how to exit without exiting. There's a hashtag exit without exiting that you can find on social media. And I teach people how to exit without exiting because it's about living your ideal life. The irony is that most people who start their their businesses as an entrepreneur do so with the idea and intent to create a lifestyle that they love, to, to create freedom of time and energy and money. But the irony, as I said, the irony is that they end up creating a business that they either don't enjoy or that they spend 100% of their time in and they don't leave time to spend the time with their family and friends and their charities and their sponsorships that they really, really want to do. I was able to exit one of my large companies without exiting, where I still maintain all of the financial benefits of that company without any of the physical necessity of me being on site every day. I'm now living my ideal life by teaching people just like you how to build, how to scale, and how to enjoy your company. And if you are interested in getting coached by me one-on-one, I only take five clients at a time for a high-ticket one-on-one engagement, and I will coach you everything you need to know to go through the building, the scaling, and the enjoyment process so that you can exit without exiting. Now, I don't judge whether or not you want to exit physically and financially or just physically, but either way, what I would judge is if you are not happy in living the ideal life that you thought your business was going to create for you, why would you not reach out to me and results through integrity and let me and my team work with you over this next 12 months, six, seven, eight, nine months in, you will 100% be released from physical restraints of your company. I can show you how to do that. I've got a four-step process that I take my clients through to do that exact thing. Now, you may say, well, Jason, I'm not yet ready to take on a high-ticket coaching engagement with you, but you might be interested in my group group coaching program. And so you can go to rticoach.com to find out more about that. I take only 12 people in each group coaching platform, and we only spend 90 days together. And through that 90 days, you'll totally transform the way your business is built and scaled so that you actually enjoy it. So you can go to rticoach.com and find out more about that. And of course, my website is the real jasonduncan.com. So thank you for indulging me a little bit on letting my coaching company be my episode sponsor for today. So today's guest, let's get right to this. This is going to be so great. I, I can't believe this guy's on my show. I'm so excited to talk to him. I told his assistant when we were getting this thing booked, I had a little bit of a fanboy thing because his uh, one of his books is my number one recommended business book of all time. And we're going to talk about that here in a moment. But this today's guest launched three multi-million dollar companies before his 35th birthday. He was awarded the New Jersey Small Business Association's Young Entrepreneur of the Year when he was only 26 years old, and he sold his first company to a private equity and his second company to a Fortune 500 company. Now, like a lot of us entrepreneurs, he was so confident in his abilities, and he had this big stack of cash. He thought, hey, I'm going to open up, a, I'm going to be an angel investor. And he proceeded to lose his entire fortune. 
And then he started all over again, because that's what entrepreneurs do. He started all over again, driven to find better ways to grow a healthy and strong company. And he has now devoted his life to research and to delivering an innovative, impactful entrepreneurial strategies for people just like you and me, so that we can live our best life as entrepreneurs. He's the author of many books. One of his most recent ones is called Fix This Next. He also wrote Clockwork. He wrote Surge. He wrote The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, The Pumpkin Plan, and my favorite business book of all time, the number one book that I recommend to people, Profit First. It had revolutionized the way you do your bookkeeping and how you manage your finances inside your business. Can't recommend it more highly. It's part of how I coach people when I take people in under my wing as a, as a client, as a coaching client, I show them how to do that. He is also a former uh, business columnist for the Wall Street Journal. His books have been translated in over, to tw in over 20 different languages. And he's also active partner in multiple companies, uh, including an American manufacturer, business growth consultant, a business growth consultancy, an augmented reality tech firm, uh, and a certification organization for accountants, bookkeepers, and business coaches like me. I want you to welcome my, uh, just so honored to have this guy on my show. Please join me in welcoming Mike McCallowicz to the show. Mike, thank you for being here, man. Oh, Jason, it's my pleasure. Thank you for hosting. <laughs> well, I, um, I'm having this little bit of a, and I told you this pre-show, I'm having this little bit of a fanboy moment and I hope it doesn't ruin my show <laughs> for the normal listeners, but you know, I have, I have super successful entrepreneurs on my show every week and, uh, I'm honored to sit across the table from all those people, but it's not often that I get to sit across yeah. the table or in this case, across zooms. I normally do these live in person, but as we are doing this on zoom, I don't normally get to talk to people who's have been like this, um, what did another guest call it? Um, an indirect mentor, you know, so you've been, Oh, an indirect, cool. Yeah. 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 And so through your book specifically profit first, that was how I came to know you. And uh, now to have you on my show is, is phenomenal. So thank you. I'm, I'm so happy and honored that you're here. You're very welcome. I'm, I'm so happy that that book served you. And I also just want to acknowledge, you know, I, I uh, the book is a recipe, but you're the one who cooked it up. So it, it, it takes effort. And I love I know we're talking about this pre show, but I love that it helped navigate COVID for you. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'll uh, so for the listeners who may not know who you are, you've written many different books, I've mentioned all those books in the in the introduction. But the book profit first, and I'll, I'll let you give a little synopsis of it uh, in just a moment. But that book, I, I, honestly, I had two bad years back to back and in year 2019, mm. um, I had a partner termination that I went through that was absolutely just almost decimated the company. But because we were doing profit first, we had those reserves set away, set aside in the right way. And then of course, we expected 2020 to be the rebound year and COVID hit. But again, I say to this, I say to this day, that the profit first methodology that you came up with because of your failures and because of your successes as an entrepreneur and how you learned to do it uh, really helped my company navigate it. And uh, so I thank you for that. So tell, tell everybody a little bit about how profit first came to be because it's part of your origin story. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's uh, I, you know, I struggled with profitability without realizing it. You shared, I had those businesses I grew and they were multi-million dollar businesses. I actually sold two of them. One was a private equity deal. One was a fortune 500 exit. And it sounds amazing, but they were never profitable when I was running it. I made money selling them, but not operating them. And I fell into this mentality that, oh, profit 
is an eventuality. Like you'll make your money one day if you stick it out long enough. So my third business that I honestly leave off my CV, I uh, was an angel investor and I sucked at it. I, I lost everything. I, I was putting good money after bad. And um, I had to come home to my family and tell them that we we're gonna lose our house if we lost our possessions because I, I had to liquidate our remaining assets just to survive, just to put food on the table. And um, that was kind of, not kind of, it was a wake up call for me. I didn't understand how profit works. Well, as I started to research this, I noticed that every entrepreneur I was interviewing, and I've now subsequently interviewed tens of thousands, consistently say the reason they started their business is two reasons, personal freedom, do what I want when I want, and financial freedom, to never worry about bills. But it's ironic, the two reasons almost all of us start business for never manifest. We work our butts off. We're working workaholic hours. Uh, we're not seeing the light of day. It's just crank it out. And we're not profitable to boot. So I started with profit. I said, why are we not profitable? If this is what we want, this is the whole reason we're doing it. What's wrong? That's when I realized the foundational formula that we've all been told to use. It's in hundreds and thousands of, of business books. The foundational formula is sales minus expenses equals profit. We even use it in our verbiage. We call it the bottom line or the year end. All these terms say profit comes last. And that was the aha moment. When something comes last, it's, it's ignorable. It's the manana syndrome. <laughs> the, the analogy I use is like, if you love your family, do you say, I love my family so much. That's why I decided to put them last in everything I do. Never, never. Something or someone that's important comes first. And we're been, how it works with profit is most businesses wait till the end of the year. It's not there on April 15th. And they're like, well, maybe next year I'll be there. It's not there. We, we kick the can down the road on profit. The profit first system, we simply flip the formula. It's sales minus profit equals expenses. Our mean in practice is every time revenue comes into the firm, take a percentage of that money, predetermined percentage, allocate that as a profit, cash, hide away from your business, and then run your business off the remainder. What this is, is the pay yourself first principle applied to business. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I really like I, I really like it for lots and lots of reasons. And I, I, we talked about, I alluded to just a moment ago about how in 2019, through a partner termination, that was absolutely horrendous financially, but mm. because we were putting the money away the right way all along, we were able to do it. Where had, had that happened two years prior to me understanding profit first, I probably wouldn't be doing this show. I probably would have been bankrupt. Probably, there's lost so many things. So, so I think that People, entrepreneurs listening right now in their cars or, or walking their dogs, they need to understand whether you read the book or not. I know Mike would like you to go buy the book and I would highly recommend it. It is my number one business book recommendation. Oh, wow. Thank you. Hands down. Like there's other books out there, right? But that one is the most tactical. And it's like, as a matter of fact, I keep it on my desk most of the time, but it's not here right now because I loaned it to somebody. So I don't have it physically. I love it. Presence. But I've loaned it and I've dog-eared, like I think it's page I don't remember. I'd, I'd be wrong if I said the if I said page number, but it has the little chart on where you are in revenue and how yeah, much yeah, your percentage yeah. of allocations, your caps and your taps. I mean, these are all things yeah. that we do. And I love the way you put it either in the book or you said it at a live event where I met you a few years ago. You said, look, if you take your, your revenue minus your profit and you can't run your business on that, what's left and you're not doing it right. And that's why I started my coaching company is to help people just like what you said. And you weren't, you weren't present when I was doing the intro just a couple of minutes ago, but I actually talked about the irony of how people start a business with freedom in mind and end up being shackled to it. They build onions. I, it's the ultimate irony. It's the ultimate irony. I love that point that uh, it, 
if you if you take your profit and say I want to have a, a business that posts twenty percent profit, if I take that first, now I have my twenty percent profit. The business will speak to me, meaning I will know what I can spend money on or not. Most businesses don't do that though. Most business owners simply say, "Well, thousand dollar deposit came in. I have a thousand dollars to do something," and we default to our next desire, like, "Oh, I need to get that new computer equipment, or I need to consider making that higher." We don't put thought into all the elements of our business. So with profit first, I think the most critical element is profit. So we, we remove that first, but we also carve up the remaining money for its intended use. You're gonna have tax consequences. We got a reserve for that. Uh, you're gonna have maybe capital expenditures. We can set an account for that. Then you realize when a thousand dollars comes in, you don't have a thousand dollars to spend. After it all gets carved up, maybe it's $200. And uh, for some people that's a real shocker right in the beginning. I get it, it is, because you're so used to your old way that's not working. It's a shocker, but then very quickly you, you start adjusting. Now, here's the reality. If, if you don't do profit first, if you struggle with profitability, if you aren't profitable, you're going to face the reaper at one point. And uh, often it's when it's too late. That hard point's going to come up you know, a year from now where you just can't play the cash flow game anymore, trying to sell your way out of things. And now you're banco. What profit first does is forces that hard conversation to today, right now. You've got to tackle that hard issue, make some hard decisions, and in the long play, your business is going to be permanently healthy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, well, I, I think there's this thing called, uh, and I teach this to my coaching clients, called the law uh, of adaptation. And the law of adaptation says that our ability to adapt will always out, outperform our ability to plan. And so if we think we plan for, well, I wanna have a 10% or 20% bottom line at the end of the year, like we can plan that all we want. But if, if we take that out first, like you said, take that $200 out at the beginning, uh, you may think, well, I don't, like, how am I going to live off the 800? Well, your ability to adapt to that 800 will outperform your ability to plan to keep the 200 later. Like you, you should adapt to that on the front end because your ability to plan for it is not going to work. Well, let me ask you this, because I, I mean, we could talk about Profit First for a couple of hours. I absolutely love Profit mm -hmm. First. It, uh, again, no kidding. Number one book recommendation of all time for business, 100%, uh, without reservation. Now, how did you come up with this? You, you alluded to this, but let me go back. I'm going to go back to your first two businesses. You sold one to private equity, one to Fortune 500, but you admit that you didn't make any money until you sold it. So what was life like as the entrepreneur not making any money? Oh, um, yeah, I know you can relate to this. It's just pure stress. It's a hand-to-mouth survival. So both businesses were in tech services. The first one was traditional computer network setup. It was Back then it was called VARS, value-added resellers, but we set up networks. The second business was in computer crime investigation, a much more sexy business. But the same problem manifested is every day I said, I need to sell more 
to grow my business and become profitable. What I subsequently discovered is that sales translates directly for a small business to stress. What I mean by this is if I sell you something, Jason, and I sell something to someone else and so forth, every time I have an additional sale, what I'm looking to do, I have additional responsibility. And so if I don't have profit efficiencies built in my business, now it becomes more stressful. I sold to you, I got delivered to you, but I got to service this next person. And, and so now I'm kind of diluting myself, but I need more money and, and I keep on diluting myself and businesses start fracturing very quickly. This is the classic hand-to-mouth game. And uh, I hear businesses, one of the ways they express it, they say, gosh, I'm working on everything, but nothing's working. That's because they haven't focused on what gives a business runway, which is profit. If you don't have profit, it is going to be a constant hand-to-mouth survival. And you'll never get out of this trap. So that's how I lived. I, I, was, I was working ridiculous hours. I was carrying the business on my back because I felt I had to. And uh, once I started becoming profitable in my new businesses, once I figured out the system, and I just want to be clear, like when I developed profit first, it wasn't like, oh, this is the system that'll fix everything. I was like, I got to do something. I'm desperate here. How do I build a business that's permanently profitable? And I said, well, I'm just going to start taking my profit first and figure this out. It started to reveal itself to me. I started that now 14 years ago, I believe it is. I've had uh, 53, 54 consecutive quarters of profit distributions. And when next end of this quarter, the next one's going to present itself. So um, I will tell you, it gives me a lot more stability, a lot less worry, and a lot more focus on growing my business and making sure that my business you know, is healthy. So yeah, that, the, the juxtaposition has been significant, seeing the two, living the two extremes, you know? Were you, were you married uh, and have kids through those first two businesses where you weren't making any money? Yeah. You know the analogy? So I, I, I had my first son when I was 21. Uh, I come home to my wife. I just got my first job out of college. I'm like, I got to start my own business. I had no clue what I was talking about. But I did say, I will put you in diamonds within you know, a few months. If, if I can just make a few hundred thousand dollars, we're taking that home. I had no clue that business revenue and personal take was totally different. I, I didn't <laughs> understand that. And, uh, but I, I will tell you this, that starting a business um, when you have three mouths to feed is for me was so fear invoking that there was one benefit. I had to make this work. I was willing to do anything, wake up at five in the morning so that I could be at work and go to the next five in the morning, like work around the clocks. I would do anything to keep the income flowing in. I also want to acknowledge, you know, in retrospect, my wife and I, we've been married now for 20 X years. And I sat down with her and I said, you know, I think your experience as the partner of someone that owns a business, the, the significant other, that for a business owner, it's like, rocketing down the raceway in, in a NASCAR without any steering wheel. All we have is a gas pedal and a brake. We have no control. But for the spouse, they're in the passenger seat without even a seatbelt. Like it's that much worse. <laughs> that's how terrifying it is. She's like, that's, that's exactly what it feels like. So when you finally sold those two businesses, uh, you, you didn't, I, I'm going to make the assumption you didn't sell, you didn't have both businesses at the same time, sell them both at the same no, time. No, no, there's yes, yeah, sequential. Yeah. So, so on that first exit, the first exit where you physically and financially exited that business, yeah, um, like what what happened? Because I think entrepreneurs have the same um, maybe misguided concept or dream of what that's going to look like. But what did it look like for you? How did that happen, and what was the experience like? Yeah, so uh, it was a private equity deal um, for a, a business, a wealthy person who was looking to ultimately build the company further south. I made hundreds of thousands, but like, you know, low hundreds of thousands, I think it was like three. And for me, 
that was a big deal because I think the most I was taking in salary was like 25,000. I was living, living hand to mouth. So I, I call it clearly it wasn't F you money, but it was F me money. Like it felt <laughs> good. And it kind of got me into this belief like, oh, business is really about the pump and dump mentality. Coincidentally, I'm still friends with the, the, uh, the guy who acquired the business. He just, just sold it in the last three months for a massive multiple. I mean, he is, he's set for life. Um, so I then started a new business literally the next morning. It was computer crime investigation. We got traction and I thought it was because I was a genius, but really what it boiled down to is the Enron trial broke. And when the Enron trial broke, they needed someone to do the, what they call defense analysis. I got the call and uh, we took on the case. It put us on the map instantly. That, that company three years in bootstrapped with a partner. We were at $7 million on a run for 7 million. Uh, I think we were in Q1 or Q2 when a company called Robert Half International, they're a Fortune 500, came in and bought us up. Now this time the deal was, was millions and for the business. And uh, that became you know, life-changing money for me. But here's what I didn't expect to happen, but that did happen. I thought one day when I had accumulated wealth that I committed, I would never be that dicky guy that's got to show it off or whatever. And that's exactly who I became, just this big douche. Like, I bought the Viper, Jason. Uh, no, I know, like, I heard you tell that story. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I got the, the um, exhaust modified so it could be even more obnoxiously loud and just douchey. And I thought it was all that. I got a place out in Hawaii. Uh, and there's an island called Lanai. We still actually go out that way occasionally, my wife and I. Um, but for sabbatical, we went out there and we moved into the most expensive town in northern New Jersey, or one of the most expensive. Just enjoying the club, everything to show off my success. And uh, it was all this, this brag sheet. Um, I, I'd find ways to sneak in my conversations about the, the new house or the new car or whatever in conversations because I wanted to brag. And um, I think, I believe it's divine intervention, but I, I believe that's when uh, I needed a lesson. And the lesson was, uh, don't be a douche. And so I lost everything through arrogance, through arrogance, I lost everything. I, I, was, trying to, I was trying to be an angel investor and I, I just sucked at it. I had no idea what I was doing. And by myself out. And it was extremely painful. I actually went through depression for years. But in retrospect, I'm so grateful for that period. To me, it was an awakening. It was like, oh, okay. Um, you, you can and should, we all should achieve wealth, but not as, as, as a method to show and be braggadocious, but in a method of being of service to amplify what we're doing, um, to do more of good stuff through our businesses. And uh, that's why I hope I will do for the rest of my life. Well, I, I appreciate the transparency and honesty, and I know that the listeners will appreciate that as well. I, I, to dig into that just a bit, Mike, I, 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 got to, I got to predict, and of course, anybody could predict looking backwards, like hindsight's twenty twenty. but even then, you don't know if we're telling, if anything would have been different. But I, I, I have to believe that had you gone back to business number one and paid yourself a normal CEO salary, it doesn't have to be exorbitant, but like 100 grand rather than 25, sure. and, and then in the next business paid yourself a normal CEO salary rather than waiting till the exit. I have to believe that your exits would have also been more profitable. Do you agree with that? Or is that, I mean, I know it's hindsight, but what do you think? They would have been more profitable? Yeah. 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 See, the interesting thing is that there is a correlation to what we pay ourselves because the less I was paying myself, I thought that I had to carry the business more, that I haven't earned the right to earn more. I had to care for the other people. So I was doing a lot of the work. One of the biggest value one of the biggest determinants of evaluation is dependency on the owner. The more dependent a business is on the owner, the less desirable it is. I mean, think about buying something. If I want to buy a business to make me money and I'm buying your business, Jason, 
and you're doing all the work. Well, the whole idea is for you to leave. Your heart may not be there. You may retire, quit. Now, all the business walks out the door. This will be the worst investment. So as these companies were looking to buy my business, they wanted to make sure that I was extremely systematized. The other thing they looked for is consistent profitability, which I didn't have that. The, the number one way in the world to prove you have an excellent business that's worth a high valuation is by having accumulating profits. I can just pull out my bank statements and say, look, every year there's more money in there. Every month there's more money in there because there's more, there's more profit. That's a ATM. And that's what a buyer wants to buy. I didn't have either of those things. I worked my ass off the business depended upon me. Secondly, I, um, it wasn't profitable. That business that we sold for millions could have sold for tens of millions, probably even more because we're in the right place at the right time. The only reason I think that we got by purchased is what's called goodwill. The name we had was strong enough in the market. We had landed some marquee cases that they wanted to say, oh, we did the Enron trial. And by acquiring us now, that was their property, so to speak. And I think that was the, the valuation they saw, but it surely wasn't in the health of my business. Well, and I, I think that as the entrepreneurs who are listening to this show would really need to dial into what you just said there, there's so much gold in that because the irony, and, and this may be the theme of our show is the irony, like what we think is going to happen is completely yeah, opposite. By like thinking that. that you're going to design this business to give you financial freedom, you end up designing something that's a prison. By thinking that you're being a uh, an honorable hero by only taking a $25,000 seller or no, or no money at all because you want to supply the money for your people, ultimately that's going to work to your disadvantage. So if we would pay attention to the concept of profit first, and, and certainly that's not the only one, but there's other things that we can implementing our business as entrepreneurs, get paid now, pay yourself first, make sure you take care of your employees, but watch the consistent profitability and the accumulation of those profits over time. And then when you are finally ready to exit, you're going to get more money. So that is a great, you're right. No, you're totally right. I found here's, here's a great way to frame this as an entrepreneur. If, if anyone listening considers themselves an entrepreneur, I want them to realize the number one job we have is to be the creator of jobs. And so if we are doing the work, we're actually stealing the job from other people who want to do work. So I don't recall the source of the study, uh, but it was some kind of census. Only 7% of the world population will ever be business owners, uh, business investors. 93% of the world population is looking for a good, reliable job. And that's our job. I, I see business owners working their tails off to run their business, to keep it afloat. They're a small shop and it, it, it's, it's a sin because they could hire someone to do that work. Now, of course they say, but if I hire someone, I'll make less money. No, no, you'll actually make more money. The analogy I use is this, is uh, would you rather be on the beach making $100 an hour through your work or $5 an hour just delivered to you? And with that analogy, most people say, well, I like to make $100 an hour. I mean, that's a, that's a 20 times multiple. I say, what if the $100, hours, $100 an hour is capped? Like you can't make any more. Maybe you, if you could work a little bit longer, but you can't make more. But what if, now you have another person bringing you $5 an hour and just putting in your lap. Now it's $10 an hour. What's more appealing? Well, the hundred, maybe 10, but what if we can keep amplifying it? What if we have 20 people coming to you, putting fives down? Now you're making hundred dollars an hour by just sitting on the beach. Now it becomes clearly more appealing. And that's how we have to see our business. When we empower other people to do the work that they want to do, they are also as a thank you for giving them a job, giving them stuff, they are returning profit to you for, for giving this, them this opportunity. And it becomes an automatic. So if we're doing the work, we're preventing that automatic behavior from happening from within the business. And we have to see that maybe it's a, we're not gonna be there overnight and instantly, but with due time, due process, you're gonna make a business making money without your 
your input, your active input. And I think the other irony that you just revealed there is that the, that the attempt to be the controlling person because you don't want to, you're trying to be selfless, you're actually being selfish because if the business is completely relying upon you and you've got 10 or 15 or 20 or 100 employees and then you get hit by a bus or have a heart attack or you're, in the, you're otherwise, well done. Uh, otherwise done, you're, you've put all of those people at risk because you, of your attempt to be selfless, you actually were being selfish. And I, tell, I told another guest this on the podcast and it kind of, I didn't think about it until the middle of the conversation as most great ideas come in the middle of something. But I said, as an employee, you want to be indispensable. That's your job. You want to make sure that your employer can't do without you. But as an entrepreneur, your job is to be dispensable. You need to get out of the way. And I love that you just explained it so eloquently is we've got to figure out how to get out of the way as the entrepreneur so that the business can do what it's supposed to do. Because if you stay in the way, it's ironically never going to get you where you want to go. Never. You know, we, uh, we actively do research. So I, my own business right now is my author business. I also have another uh, business. And so collectively, we're tiny. We have 14 employees. But what we do is we run a lot of experiments of the stuff I'm researching out on our own company. So I'm working on a future book about uh, getting people fully engaged, you know, a strong culture and so forth. And um, one thing we've been really critiquing is the traditional org chart and think that is so outdated and so wrong because the org chart, to your earlier point, it, it starts with the leader. And if that person gets hit by a bus, everyone below now is in a disabled position. They, they don't have that input coming from the, the person that knows all. So it weakens the company instantly. So what we're investigating and testing here is a web-like structure where there's redundancies of each other. In fact, we really don't even have working titles. We do in the occasion where we're interfacing with the customer just to have clarity on the role that person's serving, but no one here really has an active title. Um, and input on direction of the company is not democratic, but there's equal awareness and there's active input from all people. So there's an awareness level and it's redundancy. The tests we're doing, we actually started uh, this year in, in earnest for every employee. Everyone is required to leave the business for four weeks. It's a paid sabbatical. Um, so that's a great bonus or benefit as an employee. But honestly, the winner is the company because when Jeremy is actually leaving Monday, he's going on his one uh, month vacation, he has to have the backs, backups in place. So his work goes on unabated. He's, uh, he does our social media and so forth. And so he has redundancy here. Now, the, the win for the company is if Jeremy decides to quit or go outside uh, to, to work with someone else, um, his knowledge has been captured and is replicated throughout the business. So that web-like structure is a far stronger one, a far more nimble one. And we're finding, we're doing work with our 14 employees that our nearest competitor, we think, is doing with about double, with about 30 employees. Wow. And again... I think that goes back to the irony the irony of making it redundant without titles would seem chaotic when in fact it provides more structure, more, more safety because of the way that you structured it that way. Um, I got a question for you. So the, the name of this show is called the root of all success. And I only interview super successful entrepreneurs, just like you about their journey to success. And we talked about your journey about how you started those companies and how there was some success and some failures, but what do you right. like, what does Mike McCallock's think, is the definition of success in your opinion? I, I think success translates to service and, and, and service translates to joy. I, I think at the end of the day it is definitely an emotion. But I, I know like I, I've said in my business that every day, actually every five or 10 minutes, I'm getting uh, some kind of input from someone who's been impacted by my work. Now, this is by design. So in all my books, I invite my readers, please reach out to me. I want to know how this is serving you. And there's enough books in circulation now that is, it's a constant stream. That to me is a fulfilling thing. I, I sometimes sit here in tears 
just reading through these stories of people's turnarounds, um, sometimes in their struggles and just their, their hopefulness that, that the work I've done will serve them. That affirmation just confirms me, wow, I am being of service and it gets me jacked. It, it's the ultimate success. Now, I think money is important too. Like some people are like, well, isn't, isn't money, uh, some people say money is success, they directly correlate and other people say money's totally irrelevant. I think it's a blend because I think money allows us to amplify what we're doing. It's a tool that can allow us to do more of what we're doing. And it allows us to experience things outside of our core work. I, I don't think you know, work all the time is necessarily even healthy. So uh, I believe that I define success by being of service. But I think it's also recognized by cash flow. And uh, I use that to further the work I do and enjoy you know, outside aspects of my life. Well, with that in mind, do you consider yourself a successful person? Wildly successful. I actually can't believe what I've experienced. I am so grateful. I, uh, it's confounding to me. Yeah, it's confounding to me that the, the impact I've, I've been allowed to have and the, the, the fact I get paid to continue this. Like I, I am feverishly writing my next book right now. It, and so pumped that I can do that and then paid for it. It's unbelievable. It, it's confounding. I, I, <laughs> well, I, I love, I love your answer because it's fun. I ask, the, I ask those two questions to every guest. And it's funny, some guests will, you know, they always have a good definition because everybody's definition is a little different, but everybody's definition revolves around kind of the same thing and that success grows and, and, and that it changes from time to time. But then when I ask, do you consider yourself successful? You? Yeah. Like I get so many different answers, but I love you took that pause and you're like wildly successful. And I, cause I didn't wildly, know. Wildly, wildly. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I think sometimes they get pause because like you can never arrive at success and stuff. And I don't know if that's true. I, I think it really is the journey. Um, and I know people have different definitions of it, but for my vision of how I see my life, I cannot believe the, the success that I've been blessed with. I really well, can't. Who, so, so one of the things that I talk about on the show is these five P's of success. And, I, and, and you've already mentioned a few of those, even without knowing what they are, because I know we've not talked about this pre-show, but the, the first is passion. I think one of the keys to yeah. success for entrepreneurs is passion and not necessarily passion in the sense of emotional attachment to the thing that you're doing, although that can certainly aid your success, but passion really means willing to suffer like the passion of the Christ mm -hmm. isn't about him being excited to go to the cross it's about he was willing to suffer and endure for a great cause and I can mm -hmm. see that in you is that you you were willing to suffer and and admittedly probably the wrong way but you suffered through financially and that led you to success the second yeah. p I talk about and, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to put the second third together and then I'm gonna pause and ask for a response but is, is being at the right place at the right time which you actually said that phrase and then the third is kind of goes with it which is knowing the right people so when those first three p's of success do you see those as keys to your success as a speaker and an author and an entrepreneur? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, the right place for time is, I feel just being uh, an American citizen. Uh, also, there is white privilege. I, I, I finally have come to realize that that is a true advantage. I was talking with a friend of mine who does DEI coaching, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And she said to me, she goes, the best way to illustrate this is everyone's in a race regardless of your skin color, but if you're white, you're put 50 yards ahead. Now dash and like, Oh, that finally, I get it. There's a lot of advantages that were blessed upon me. And, um, I, I respect that that's been given to me that I'm in a position where I can do what I do, that it gives me uh, additional authority to spread the word. And I'll tell you, if I was born in another country, it may be the same person, but wouldn't be experiencing this. I, I don't think so. Yeah. I also think to your point, the people that surround you are absolutely critical. I had the right people at the right time. Um, and, and it's only kind of in hindsight that we can connect the dots. When I wrote my first book, it was called The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. I was like, oh, I'm writing this for college students because that's who I was when I started my first business. I came out of college, I started a business. I'm like, that's the people I need to serve. They weren't buying the books. Well, I, 
brought on the help of some mentors, not paid or anything. These were just people helping me, but specifically a female mentor because I didn't understand the female market. I was like, you know, I want to get perspective I don't have. And she, her guidance helped me realize my first book wasn't for college students. It was for moms of college students. It was for female entrepreneurs. And what they were saying as they were consuming the book is, here's a male author who's not pandering to me. And often I feel I get pandered to. So this feels very supportive. And I started speaking to uh, women business owner conferences and stuff like that. Usually the only guy there. And that community started to carry me on her shoulders to the broader entrepreneurial community that I now serve with my subsequent books. Wow. Mentorship, having the right people at the right time, supporting me and opening my eyes to blind spots has been extraordinary. And it happens over and over again. And it's usually only after the fact that I realized how significant that value was. Well, the, the, last, the last two Ps, the five Ps I'll talk about are preparation, which is the know-how to pull off your success story and then plan which is not necessarily business planning that, that has very little to do with your indication as an indicator of success, but about your ability, your plan to deploy financial resources to, you know, to support the concept that you're going to be yeah. successful at. So from a term of know-how, it seems to me like your story goes back to those original two businesses and the mistake you made in not paying yourself and waiting till the end. And then the mistake again, not paying yourself, waiting till the end. And then right. blowing through the money as douche, your, your words, not mine, <laughs> but blowing through the money <laughs> the truth. that prepared you to be the wildest successful author and speaker and coach that you are today. And then the plan was, uh, that's what I don't know. Like how, what was your plan to financially support your businesses originally? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I found um, when I became an author 13, 14 years ago now, I found that there's a really question we need to ask. There's actually two, one that we all know of and one we don't. The one we all know of is this, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do with it? It's a powerful question because what it allows you to explore is what your heart calls out to do. It's a damaging question in that it presupposes we need money to achieve that vision. Like only when you have money, can you do that? There's a second question that I found. If you have no money, what's the vocation your heart calls out to do? So what's the work I want, I want to do to generate income? And what's the dream I have? If those are in alignment, now you got a calling. And I always dreamed one day, I'll be an author. Like that sounds so badass. When I was wiped out, I sat with my wife and we had lots of conversations about it. And I said, you know what? I, I'm going to be an author who makes money. This is going to be my vocation. I will bring money to the, our house. I will be a provider. And um, that's when I became an author. And it wasn't like the next morning money started coming in. I was terrified. It felt like I threw back, thrown back into my first business. I was like, how am I going to make any money doing this? But to your other point, the right people present themselves, uh, mentors. I ran into a guy named Tim Ferriss. Maybe you heard of him. Yeah. I was, uh, I was on a, uh, I got interviewed for a news station and he was on the same show. So there we are sitting in the green room in preparation. I had launched my first book called The Toy Paper Entrepreneur. He launched his first book called The Four Hour Work Week. And it was an extraordinary success right out of the gate. Everyone I've been talking to at that point said, don't be an author. You can never make money. I asked him, I said, hey, Tim, I got to ask you, can you make money being an author? He looks around and goes, are you kidding me? He goes, you can make millions. And it just changed my whole perspective. He didn't reveal anything like oh, any specific, specific tactics or anything. But what he did reveal is the possibility. And that's where I turned up the throttle. And uh, it's paid off for me significantly. Uh, well, and I'm a beneficiary of that as are my employees who were able to survive 
two bad years back to back because of things that you learned and taught in a book. And then, uh, you know, we don't have time to dig into it, but clockwork was also really important to me because it, it really gets to that point of how do you manage your time as the, as the entrepreneur. And, and of course I, I recommend your books and then my clients, my coaching clients will come back to me and say, well, I just read pumpkin plant and I didn't recommend that one. Not that, not that I shouldn't. It's just, I recommend right, right. one and then it just, they get into the Mike McCallum universe. <laughs> well, let me ask yeah, you this as a that. final, as a parting question. So we got a lot of, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to the show that are also wildly successful like you that, that have built tremendous businesses and they're just wanting to get that edge. And, and you've provided them with some of that encouragement, but there are also a lot of people that are entrepreneurs that they, they're sitting in their cars they're they're walking their dogs, they're on the treadmill, they're lifting weights they're sitting in the living room, sipping coffee early in the morning and they have an idea. They want to do it, but they're not really sure yet how to do it. Mm. What advice would you give for that person? Uh, it's probably old school advice, but it's irrevocable action. Meaning once you want something until we take an action in its direction, it'll never happen. In fact, uh, it's kind of like that theory that an object momentum stays in momentum, but an object static stays static. If we don't do anything, we actually entrench ourselves further. Every day that you say, I'm not going to wait today. You're actually adding two days because you're entrenching that belief that we have to then unwind that waiting is a good thing. Um, throwing some cheesy analogies out here, but there's that one they say, when's the best day to plant a tree? 40 years ago, the second best day is today. And uh, it's true with entrepreneurship. What I've done is when I want something, um, whatever it may be, a, a future desire, a, a thing to purchase, an action to take, I put something in its direction immediately. Um, I want to buy a vacation house. I put a dollar down today on that vacation house uh, in an account to start accumulating it. I don't just let it sit in my mind. I take action. So if you want to start a business, uh, get the LLC registered today. Do something in its action today. I'm not saying complete it. I'm not saying you even have it perfectly scripted out in your mind, but take an action irrevocably. Set up that business so it's permanently set up, that LLC, and you're now taking a big step in the right direction, and it'll cause momentum effect. You'll, you'll make it happen now. Well, I love that advice and I appreciate it because it's the same advice that a lot of my guests give. So you've got to take action. So I would encourage the listeners, please go take action. Don't wait. Well, Mike, how can people get in touch with you? Oh, so uh, I got a hack here because no one can spell Mike Michalowicz, but you can go to Mike Motorbike. Ha! That's uh, my nickname from grade, from grade school. You know, the grade school, everyone's trying to make the rhyming one. So Mike Motorbike, it's stuck with me. You can plus you can envision me driving a motorcycle. And uh, there you couple things. I think you'll experience a website you've never experienced before, not just an author site, but ever any site. I really believe in the necessity to do different, but also to be of service. And I, I think you'll see the blend there. I hope you do. Uh, all my books, chapter downloads are there. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. You can get those articles for free. And I have my own podcast called Mike Up in Your Business, all available at MikeMotorbike.com. All right, everybody. I, I can't recommend enough for you to follow Mike and, and look look up his books, look up his podcast list to him. His podcasts are really light and funny, and I think that you will enjoy those as well as this conversation we've had today. But Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. It is a true honor to talk to someone like you who's helped me so instrumental in my business in ways that you never would have thought or imagined or knew about. I love it. I love, I love it. getting to talk to you. So thank you very much for being on the show. It's been an honor. This has been a joy. Thanks, Jason. Well, I can't tell you how awesome it was to have somebody like Mike on the show. Um, I know at the end, I always thank the guests for being there, and I'm always very grateful that they're there. But, but for somebody like him that I've read books 
and I've I've met you know at, at, in the past, but not really personally and haven't gotten to talk to. This has been a true honor, and I hope that you are getting some of the benefit out of this uh, this conversation I've had with Mike as well. But if you are an entrepreneur and you you're you're in that middle of that trying to figure out what to do next, you don't know how to take the action. I want to remind you that you can reach out to me at therealjasonduncan.com or at rticoach.com. And you could sign up for either uh, one of my group coaching platforms, or if you're prepared for a one-on-one -on -one engagement and you're ready to get exited out of your business, whether that's physically or financially or both, I am uniquely suited to be able to help you with that. That's exactly what I've done with my businesses. And I've used the tips and the information from people like Mike to make sure that I was able to do that successfully. And now I'm living that ideal life. And I want you to be able to live that ideal life. That's why I do the show. That's why I coach people. That's why I do group coaching. And that's why I have my online university results university. There are so many ways that you've got access to get you what you need. Take action. Just like Mike said, take action, do irrevocable action today, get started with something, do this, go to the real slash contact, go to the contact page, click that contact, reach out to me today, say, Hey, I heard you. I heard the show with Mike McAllowitz. And if you can't spell his last name, remember it's Mike motorbike, but I heard the show with you, Mike motorbike on profit first. I really want to talk to you about how I can get to the next level of my business. I would be honored to help you. This has been the Root of All Success podcast. This is The Real Jason Duncan. I will see you next week when I interview yet another super successful entrepreneur about his or her journey to success and how they did it through their strengths, through their weaknesses, through their successes, and through their failures. I'm The Real Jason Duncan, and Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.